Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Welcome back to the Celtics Block Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Brendan Nunes. What's up, Brendan? Not much, man. I'm glad to be on here. It's been a little while, it feels like, since I've been on one of these. But glad to be here, man, especially for the big guest we got today. Very big guest. And you're only on here because of the guest we got. I'm only joking. I'm playing. <laughs> I'm, playing. I'm playing. We're joined by Darren Ehrman, the head coach of the main Red Claws G League team, the affiliated team with the Boston Celtics. Huge honor of ours. How are you doing today, Darren? Doing great. Thanks. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, an honor for you guys more so than an honor for me. I'm glad to be part of it. I I appreciate you guys asking me. I feel honored and uh, look forward to it. I'm looking forward to this. It should be fun. How long have you been in charge of the coaching operations over at the Red Claws? I got hired. I started like uh, mid-October. I mean, I got hired a little before that, but uh, the season really picked up uh, starting mid-October. And uh, you know, I've been the G League coach since then. We we had uh, the season started, I think, November 1st or right around there. Our, our training camp did. And our first game was like the ninth or something like that. And it was relationships with uh, the Maine organization in Boston, right, that led you to Maine? To Maine? Yeah, my relationships with Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens, Coach Stevens, and uh, all of the guys that work with Danny and the coaching staff of um, – uh, Coach Stevens, you know, like Brandon Bailey, Scott Morris, and those guys I've been friends with for a while. And uh, it, was a, it was a great opportunity, and it still is a great opportunity. And uh, it was I was very, very fortunate they had an opening and very, very fortunate that uh, they wanted me because there's uh, only 28 G League head coaching jobs and they're sought after, and I was lucky enough to be one of the coaches, head coaches of the G League this season. And how was it coming in and meeting the team for the first time and being around the two-way guys, being around vets that are now playing in the G League, waiting for their next spot, and then going and being around the undrafted guys, there's such a, a plethora of different talent with different stories that end up in the G League. How was that for you, first meeting and getting to know all those different stories? Uh, I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Summer League because everyone, like Summer League, you have your draft picks, you have your guys trying to make it, you have the guys that have been in the league trying to get back in. So and I've, I've been fortunate enough and had uh, to coach summer league twice. So it was similar to that uh, short period of time, getting to know those guys. Like I said, we, we started November 1st. And we had a game on November 9th, but uh, yeah, I had an opportunity to meet the two-way guys at Celtics training camp, get to know them a little bit. But they have uh, player development coaches for the Celtics, so I didn't want to overset my boundaries. I just want to get to know them a little bit. It was very similar to that in summer league and then, those guys come for training camp, like the free agents, like you guys were saying, guys trying to make it and uh, to the NBA. And then we have guys like Yante Maiden, who was in the NBA briefly at the Heat, who played with us. And just getting to know them on a personal level, building relationships. And it was great. We had a great, great, great group of guys. They got along extremely well on the court, off the court. And uh, we were very, very lucky to have the chemistry that we did. And uh, it, it was fun for me. Yeah. And how is it dealing with, you know, like in the NBA, you hear a lot of, you know, maybe first day of camp sort of thing that they go in there and all right, this is the role that the coach has defined for each of these players. And my, um, my guess and correct me if I'm wrong would be the G league. It's, it's harder to define those on the first day. So what are sort of uh, your feelings going in with all these different players that are sort of 
looking to prove themselves and how is it balancing, like you're saying, the two-way guys that obviously are part of the main club and, and everybody's roles and how those are developing throughout the year? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I, I've actually spoken to some people about this because in the offseason this year, I've been spending a lot of time like on role definition, building relationships and thinking about ways to be better at that. But yeah, you don't really know everyone's talent. You don't know the talent level of uh, guys that played overseas, guys that are undrafted. Uh, you know, Wayne, Wayne Blackshear was an example of a guy that came in and it was pretty good for us, but I didn't know what to expect from him. So I couldn't define a role on day one. And uh, Jay, uh, Jay Sean Page uh, was the same way. And, you know, we have these guys, Jay Sean was the same way. We have these guys that I didn't know what to expect. They come in, they played really well. So the role's not what maybe someone thought coming in to the season. So you just have to have training camp in that, you know, eight-day period, figure out who's going to be good, uh, who's going to play what role, and then go from there to define them a little bit. But it was, it was very fluid because roles always change in the G League. Whether Tremont was with us or Taco was with us or wasn't with us, all of a sudden, roles changed. Uh, we had John Bohannon on our team, and like when Taco went got hurt against uh, the Memphis uh, G League team, John's role picked up, and then Vincent was uh, assigned to Maine, and then John's role changed. So roles were always uh, Carson or Romeo were there. So roles are always changing. So it's really, really a difficult lead to define roles. But I did think was good was to be like, look, this is your role right now, and your roles to play 15 minutes, come in, play defense, uh, make open shots, play hard, lift, and then your role is to lift practice, like elevate practice with your energy. We had guy Sheldon Jeter who did that. He played like 12, 15 minutes a game, uh, shot the ball well, played really hard, but he also elevated practice, made it very competitive in every drill. And then uh, when we got up and down, he was made everything really competitive, and that was his role at the time. But then his role changed as uh, – injuries happen or got or call-ups happen or uh and then he played 30 minutes of some games so it's a interesting league that roles change but you want to kind of like communicate so one thing we tried to do is I met with uh each player about once a week maybe uh a little bit longer but for five to ten minutes go over some film with them uh, we would have like PD days, player development days, and part of their player development days were meet with me individually, and I'd do some film or relationship building, see what they liked, didn't like, let them know what their role is, and uh, at that time, but that role is always changing, so that's why one of the reasons we had frequent meetings. I don't know if that really answered your question, but that was uh, it was very fluid. And how do you keep motivation levels high when the roles are changing and players that may have had a phenomenal game in the previous game and now playing a subdued role due to a two-way guy coming down to the team or an yes. injured player returning back? Yeah, great question. So, like, communication was big. Like, you explain to them, hey, you may not, may not play. You don't want to tell them that they're not going to play this game and say your, your minutes might be less. Stay ready. I just don't know exactly what they might be. You know, you just had a good game. You just had, like, a like Trey Davis had a 40 plus point game and played 40 plus minutes. And the next game he's playing 18 to 20 and, or uh, you just have to make sure you have constant communication, letting them know that you have their best interests at heart and uh, you're being honest with them. I mean, these are the great lessons about being a head coach and the G league teaches you all these lessons. Cause if not, you're going to fail. If you don't do these things, you're going to fail as a coach. And we, we, as a staff really, really worked hard on that 
and uh, letting them know their roles and what was going to happen game to game. And, um, you know, that, that was really important that, uh, to always have great communication with them. Yeah, definitely. Same as, same as the big leagues, obviously, and, and any level, uh, really. Um, how do you feel that, I mean, before it was the G League, obviously it was the developmental league, the D League. And how do you feel it is balancing uh, these guys' individual development and then also focus on winning as a team? Because sometimes maybe those don't go quite hand in hand. And correct me if you feel like I'm wrong with that. No. Uh, so, yeah, okay. to go back to your previous question, you asked how we keep them mo- stay motivated. Sorry, I didn't answer your question completely, Adam. Was if you play the right way and you play hard, there's more likely a chance that you're going to get, you get to where you want to be, whether it be NBA overseas, making more money, whatever it is. So to keep them motivated, we, we talked about that a lot. Winning makes people notice you. Like I know some GMs would be like, look at our roster, like they're winning. So they must have some players that are, are pretty good. So winning helps you get noticed, which motivates those guys to want to win. And then, play the right way. Like David Nawab is a great example. I think he averaged like 14 points in the G league shot 25% from three, but he played really, really hard and he played the right way. And then he got called up to the NBA or made it to the NBA and he hasn't looked back. So using those examples talk, and we talked about it a ton because, you know, these, these speeches or these talks we had might work for like a motivate them for uh, the players for a couple games or a week, but you had to always circle back to let them know that it's not about scoring a lot of points. Like, I'm a Russ Smith fan being from Louisville and uh, but he, he averaged 30 points a game in the G league and didn't make it back to the NBA after being drafted. So it's more than scoring points it's playing the right way, playing hard. And then when GMs are looking, they're going to watch games and they're going to see you doing that before they give money out. The GMs are going to watch games and they're going to see you playing hard, playing the right way, taking the right shots. And that's how you're going to make it to the NBA or you make it to, uh, whatever league overseas. So that was some, that's how we kind of motivated them. And they, they were self-motivated. And I think they understood that team success helped them a lot and playing hard and playing the right way helped them. And uh, that was kind of a message we hammered home. And, uh, but like you said, player development and winning, I think it goes hand in hand. I don't think it's divergent. I think it goes hand in hand in the sense that the, like, the roster is constantly changing. So next man up is really a true philosophy. Like uh, all of a sudden Dorian Wayne, they have to stay ready. Uh, if they weren't playing as much and step in when they, or the time comes and there were the games, we only had seven guys, eight guys. Uh, one game, I think we only had seven and uh, against Westchester in the back to back. And all those guys are ready because of player development. And they had a lot of talent. Like Remy, our GM did a great job of putting together a very, very, very talented G league team. And then we had guys that worked hard to get better and uh, player development. So when their time uh, was called, they were ready. And also in the sense that like Sherman and Taco, they want to play with the Celtics. So they want to play in the NBA going forward. Player development was a big part of their game, uh, their practice habits and everything. So it's all tied together and the better they become and the better the more they work on team skills and individual skills. Uh, it's going to help the team. It's going to help them in the long run. So I don't. I think it was. It goes hand in hand. And talking about development, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Red Claws run a similar or the exact same playbook as what the Celtics run. Is that correct? Yeah, very similar. Um, it's not as extensive. You know, they run uh, many more sets than us, but we run a uh, most. I'd say eighty percent of the same uh, 
or more of the same offense, like same side out of bounds, same baseline out of bounds, uh, many of the half-court sets, uh, maybe one thing or two things different at the most. So how, do, how has that been for you in terms of development as a coach, learning these NBA plays and playing with this higher tier of talent than what you're probably used to up until this point? How do you feel you've developed in your approach to the game? Like, is there anything that you feel like you've improved on, whether it be man management or ATOs? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I, like I said, I coached summer league a couple of times, and then uh, I've, been with, I've been fortunate enough to be with NBA teams for, like, 10, 12 years, whatever. So it's – but it's different as a head coach for a season. So uh, the biggest thing I learned was – ATOs, as, and I studied them a lot. Like when I was in New Orleans, you can ask almost anyone in the organization. I studied them a lot in the offseason. They're not as important as I thought. In timeouts, you want to win the next three to four minutes. You don't care about the next two points all the time. Like you want to say, hey, we are doing these things well. These are the, this is the area or two we can get better at. In the next three or four minutes, let's focus on it. And let's go try to win the next three or four minutes. But also managing your team managing your coaching staff. These are all opportunities you have in the G League uh, that you don't necessarily have in Summer League much, but G League was a great, great growth uh, experience for me personally. Does that make that answer your question? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm just um, trying to touch all bases in terms of growth. If we've touched player growth, it's good to touch personal growth as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I learned like uh, the player, like personal growth, I felt like Look, this being a head coach also makes you a better assistant. You realize a head coach wants positivity, and they also want solutions. Not, hey, this is not working. This player is not playing well. Head coach knows that, but he needs a solution. He doesn't need a complaint. So it makes you a better assistant coach, and also makes you better. Sorry, I put my glasses on. It makes you better in the sense of, um, like, you have to be able to communicate with your staff. You have to be able to communicate with the players, and you have to build a good team environment, which. I, I think we did a pretty good job at times and there's areas I can still be uh, better going forward. Um, but it's a, it's a league with like, I think the success of the coaches in the NBA, the Nick nurses of, um, I mean, Chris Finch is a great coach. Uh, Quinn Snyder's a great coach. Taylor Jenkins has proven that he's a really good coach. Like these guys, a lot of their success has come from the G league. So, or the G league helped them because you have to, manage so many different people and in so many different situations. So I felt like personally, I got better at that and it always can get better. As soon as you don't think you can, then you're uh, failing. Yeah. One of the big realizations for me was that it goes beyond development for the players there. Like you're saying the entire coaching staff trainers and everything down there and even the media as well. It's a stepping stone for them there. Um, and you touched on communication, obviously being really important there. What is the communication like uh, that you have with with the with the club there in Boston, since obviously, like you said, you're an extension of them. How often uh, do you feel like, or how often are you communicating with them? Yeah, I mean, we talked. I talked to someone in the front office at least four or five times a week, maybe more. And I talked to someone in the coaching staff, maybe a, bit, a little bit less frequently, but still frequently about what the Celtics were doing, what they were putting in, because. You know, we, we're not there, so we don't know some of the offense or defensive concepts always being put in or adjusted throughout the season. But very frequently, uh, and like with these two-way guys, and then with Carson and Romeo playing for us too, they had a vested interest in uh, 
making sure or seeing uh, how we were coaching the guys and developing them. And so there was constant communication and what they expected when a guy was called up to Maine and uh, what we we're going to do. So it, it was good. And, he, and Vincent played for us as well. So it was uh, constant communication and uh, we tried to be on the same page as much as possible. I felt we accomplished that and it was good. I mean, it was a uh, very, the G league, like just the G like think about some of the GMs out there in the uh, NBA started in the G league and some of uh, you know, the, like you said, trainers and coaches, and it's just a, it's a really good league for everyone to grow and get better. And in looking at some of the two way guys, most notably Tucker, one of the quotes that stuck out with me from the beginning of the year was when the press all descended on the Red Claws facility after a game. And one of the players turned around and said, this never happened before Taco got here. How was that for you in managing the media in terms of people turning up to speak to Taco and making sure that everybody was, there was no jealousy and everybody was pulling together still? Yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel like that was more of a reflection of Taco and his character and him as a person than anything I did personally or we did as a staff person. Uh, Taco is just a high character, good person that uh, everyone was happy for Taco. Like Taco's a really good human being. And so when the media descended on him or they were there for Taco, often the fans, like we had visiting fans cheering for Taco. Uh, everyone's happy for him. No one, there's no jealousy. I mean, and that's a reflection of Taco as a person and how uh, his character and everything about that. So it was nothing really we did as a staff. Uh, it was more of just Taco being Taco. Yeah. And just to kind of touch on those guys a little bit, I mean, um, can you speak to what the development was like of of Taco, of Tremont, and then obviously the other guys that are on the roster as well that tend to get overlooked by the people that aren't sitting there watching main games? Yeah, I mean, Taco was – I mean, I felt he became an elite-level pick-and-roll defender, uh, playing two in the pick-and-roll, being a great rim protector. We worked on that a lot. Um, and he was very coachable. He has a lot of abilities that I know Danny Ainge likes – uh, coachability being one of them, and uh, he he worked on his craft and becoming better. At, like like I said, rim protection, pick and roll defense, uh, understanding spacing on offense, rolling on off, getting out of the pick and roll or dribble handoff quickly to dive to the rim to put pressure on the defense. Uh, and if he's on the pick and roll, working opposite the ball, he picked up all these things and got much much better at them. And then also changing in. So G League is a really fast game. Uh, and he, there are many, many, many games that you just see the improvements, like from game to game, that Taco is changing in uh, much better. And uh, uh, we played Capital City and stands out like he was just a madman, protecting the rim, changing in, getting dunks, like he was awesome. And then, you know, Tremont uh, just being, being a little consistent. I mean, he has all the tools in the world, um, and he's going to make it, and I think Taco's going to make it. But uh, just a consistent effort on defense, and all, but he he did that like he got better. He uh, uh, he was he's a magician with the basketball. He sees the game at a high level, offensively and defensively. And you have to just kind of let Tremont be Tremont because he's so gifted that you don't want you don't want to control a guy that gifted and be a coach. It's like oh, you got to be in this system. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, just you got to let Tremont play because. That's when his skills flourish and his talents flourish, and that's going to help him in the long run and the team in the long run. 
And what did you see from Carson Edwards? He he started off really well in summer league, and then he seemed to struggle of sorts to adapt to the NBA game. And then he spent a, a large portion of time down in Maine. What did you see from Carson Edwards in terms of development and demeanor? Oh, he was a. I mean, I I I I called him one time. I'm like Carson, like you should be really proud of. All of a sudden, the NBA guys there, and then like uh, other people's playing time are different, or the guy is out there just. Uh, playing for himself, not playing for the team. And, uh, and I said, look, we're winning when you come to the Red Claws. And that's a tribute to you as a person. Like, cause he really tr- pl- tried to play the right way. Like we played um, college park, the Atlanta G league team. And we were down by one, like eight seconds left. And he pushed the ball and he, you know, he could have jacked a bad shot, but he drove, kicked it to Justin Bibbs. He drove and got like a little six or five to six foot runner floater and made it to win the game. We won by one. And that was just like, he could have jacked a shot, but no, he made the right basketball play. And that was the big thing is like knowing when to shoot, when to pass, taking the right shots. And he really did that for us. And like there were games he had to shoot for us when we needed scoring. And he helped us beat Greensboro on a back-to-back with a 40-point-plus uh, game. And there are other times he facilitated and made plays. And uh, he fit right in. And I felt like he was learning, you know, shot selection and, uh, his defense was really, really good. I mean, he guarded some of the best players. He played the three for us at times. And uh, we challenged him like what to guard the better players in the G League. And uh, I thought he was really good. And Romeo, the same thing. Like when Romeo was there, put him on some of the best wings defensively to guard them. Uh, Romeo made the right play. Everyone loved playing with him. Uh, I mean, he just is a, has a high basketball IQ. So we were really, really lucky with the guys uh, – that came to Maine to play from the Celtics, they played the right way and helped us win games. Yeah, definitely. And then one other guy that I'd like to just get your thoughts on that I feel like is overlooked is uh, Bryce Brown. I mean, you know, close to nine attempts from three on 42%. That is a great skill in itself. And I felt like he was a really in your shorts defender that was an impact player on that end. Can you just touch on his development this year and how you feel he's progressed as a player? Yeah, no, Bryce got, I think he, got a lot better as a player uh obviously a shooting component was always there he can fly off screens he did at Auburn he can come off and shoot a variety of shots he had 11 for 11 from three game for us uh but his playmaking decision making like he had never really and that's one of the things we talked about like Kaiser Kaiser Gates another good player was Bryce and Kaiser I want you guys to make decisions I want you guys to be put in these roles and if you're not so if you're not successful right away, that's fine. That's good. That's growth. Like if you're already were good at it, then, uh, you know, you'd be in the NBA. We, we need you to get better at this so you guys can make it to the NBA. And, uh, you know, fit, not being successful is a good way to learn and being put in position that you haven't been put in before. So they had turnovers in decision-making roles coming off pick and roll or driving and kicking, which is good. They were learning. I think, we encourage that. We encourage Bryce to be put in those positions, and he got a lot better at it. You could see it. He had some really good games. Again, we played uh, College Park at home, and he had like three assisted taco that were uh, unbelievable in pick and roll, lob dunks. So Bryce got a lot better, and he was a good defender. Um, he was, you know, and he learned to like. We watch a lot of film uh, as a staff with him, and like I, I watched him film with him about fighting through screens. He became even better defensively than he was. And he was already a good defender. So his development was fun to watch. Like he was, he got better making plays, making decisions, playing for other people. And he just wasn't put in that role at Auburn. And that's not like a disrespect to Auburn. It's just like, 
uh, the way they had a, a really good point guard in Jared Harper. So Bryce was like mostly coming off screens and shooting. But for us, we encourage a lot everyone to be put in those positions to help them get better. Like the best player development is working on it and doing it in the game, not just doing it in the drill and practice. And you mentioned Kaiser Gates. He's been a player that interests me quite substantially throughout the season. I've, whenever I've checked in on how the Red Claws are doing, his numbers always seem to be very steady. He seems to be like a, a steady hand on that roster. Can you speak what it's like to be working with him and the other guys on the team as well? I feel like the problem with the G League is everybody focuses so much on the two-way guys that the rest of the roster sometimes get overlooked when there's some very good and sometimes exceptional level talent playing on that roster. Yeah, for sure. Like, like I said, Remy and Danny and all the front office, they did a great job of giving us a very, very talented team. Uh, I mean, we were really talented. So Kaiser was an excellent player, could guard one through five. He played some five, could shoot, spread the floor, athletic, could drive, dunk, made some plays. Uh, you know, we worked on his playmaking a lot. That's just something he never showcased before. And uh, but he he made he made, had some games. We had some turnovers. He had some games where he made plays. But like I said, the best player development is trying in the game and getting better at it. And Kaiser did that. And he, I think Kaiser's an NBA player. He can shoot it. Good basketball IQ. Plays really extremely hard. Uh, it, I mean, uh, we were lucky to have him on our team. He was really talented. And uh, you know, just keep working on some shot selection, you know, that, uh, but he made big shots on the uh, team. He can pass, he can shoot real good feel for the game. He can guard multiple positions. Uh, so Bibbs is really good. I know a lot of people are fans of him. He had a chance with the Clippers last year, but like I say, he can shoot, pass, dribble, think, and uh, guard. So yeah, he's a guy that's NBA level player. Yante Macon, another guy who had played with the Heat, uh, can really score good touch around the basket. We let, you know, we encourage him to shoot two to three threes a game. Cause that's again, growth. People want to see him be able to make threes and make it to the NBA. And we encouraged it, like take the right ones. And then the game actions, the best way to get better at it. You can work on it in practice, but in practice, you might shoot hundred in a row. That doesn't happen in the game. You might get one in the first quarter and one in the fourth quarter. So that's, uh, take those shots and, you know, and slowly you'll get better at it. And um, defensively, we work a lot on his defense, pick and roll individually, uh, player development coach, Trey Witted uh, and uh, Ahmad Nivens. Those two guys worked a lot with him on his defense and he got better. And, uh, you know, we had a really good staff that worked with all these guys, but Yante is like another guy that he can make an NBA too. He's an NBA player. So, uh, and then we had Jay Sean Page off the bench really could defend, could shoot. He made uh, shot the ball well for us, and he got better decision-making. Like, he struggled making the right read and pick and roll or drive and kick or a rim read when he gets to the rim and the defense swarms to him, kicking it out. But he, uh, we worked on that in player development. Uh, John Harris was a player development coach. He did a great job. We had a couple other guys work with him too, and he just worked on those things and became really, really, really good in the game, so good that you know, we played him at the three at, <clears throat> at six feet because we just couldn't take him off the court. I mean, it wasn't like a – it was a positionless game of guys just going out there and playing the right way and playing together, and Jay Sean was really good for us. And then we had um, Trey Davis. Like, I think he has the all-time record and points scored for the Red Claws in the game, but he was just uh, – he 
he was a really good player for us. Offensively, obviously, people know he can shoot. He, 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 made, he got better at decision-making, but he defended a lot really well. He picked up full court. We were down like 18-0 in Wisconsin, and he picked, started to pick up full court, totally changed the game so much that we were up by three at halftime. So uh, <clears throat> he was good. John Bohannon was excellent for us. As a really smart playmaking big. Uh, could pass. We encouraged him to shoot threes. He shot probably more threes than he ever has in the G League, at least, I think. Made some big ones for us, uh, but could pass, defend, rebound at a really high level. Uh, just a really, really high basketball IQ. And um, we had Sheldon Jeter. Like I said, he was a guy that could shoot and uh, played hard, played well defensively, got better. Uh, but he played really hard and he lifted our practices. He lifted our games. It brought energy for us. And it's important to have those guys that make practices competitive. Make, and when they come in the game, you know what they're going to give you every single time. And then uh, Wayne Blackshear, uh, another guy just like um, Sheldon, played really hard in practice. And, like, for Sheldon and Wayne and Dorian, we just had such a talented team. They, they could be top five, six guys in the G League and other team. They just weren't for us just because of our depth and how good a job our front office did of putting together a team. But they all uh, played hard, uh, contributed in games when they got minutes, and uh, they were fun to coach. Yeah, definitely an extremely talented roster you're working with there. A lot of guys that will probably end up with NBA chances, like you're saying. And um, last thing I think we want to touch on here, Darren, is we mentioned it a little bit before we started recording, man, is you have an Arby's experience that you feel like you owe a lot of credit to your life skills from Arby's. Can you just share uh, that uh, that experience working there with us? Yeah. Uh, one time um, we ran out of roast beef in the middle of a lunch rush. And uh, I told my manager, and he's like, two tears in a bucket, go sell ham and Swiss sandwiches. So, like, you're at Arby's, and there's a lot of pressure. People want roast beef sandwiches, and uh, you, have suggestively, you have to suggestively sell ham and Swiss sandwiches and other sandwiches in the middle of a lunch rush. That was pressure. Coaching basketball, it's a lot more than coaching basketball in life than that. And uh, wins, losses, not that big a deal as much as it is to run out of roast beef in a lunch rush. But I will say, like, basketball, um, uh, coaching for the Red Claws and everything, it's just uh, you learn there's so much more than about in, in life than basketball. And it was a really good experience. I think the players had a good experience, and uh, I was just fortunate to be part of it. Well, this has been a really enjoyable interview. I want to take a moment to say thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, thank you, man. Hopefully it's uh, – Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And if you have any other questions, you know, feel free to ask at any time. Awesome. This definitely won't be the last time we speak. Um, once the season's back and the G League's up and running again, we'll, we'll maybe do this maybe twice a season when, obviously, when there's no road trips or anything, if that's okay with you. Uh, perfect. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, guys, you've been listening to the Celtics blog podcast. Make sure to keep up with everything going on with the Red Claws. And moving forwards, Darren will be joining us once or twice a season to let us know how the two-way guys and how the other roster guys are getting on. Again, it's been a great time speaking with you, Darren. I'm sure Brendan's had a good time too. Definitely have, man. Can't say how much I appreciate you taking time. And I'm really good to try an Arby's now. So next yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Take man. Care. Have a good one.